welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. So you guys in enjoying the morning? You enjoy- thanks, thanks, Birgit. She got that very positive answer that I get from the front there. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the first two sessions. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and it's always, um, it's always lucky to, to take some time out and to assess the Word of God with, with a specific focus. Yeah? There's so much in the Word of God that you can speak about a lot of different things. And Finances is, is something that's not often discussed from the pulpit or from any sort of teaching forum or, or something of the sort. So it's always exciting for me to be able to chat about finances because as Michal just reiterated throughout his session, finances is close to God's heart. Yeah? So we're going to go into the, the graveyard shift. It's me for the last 40 minutes of the day. And um, I'm going to chat a bit about unlocking the power of extravagant giving. God desires us to be more than just faithful givers. That's a reality. God desires us to be extravagant givers. Now, the use of <laughs> the word extravagant in the context of biblical giving can, um, can be a bit intimidating. Yeah? And I, I heard someone speak about extravagant giving some time back and you sort of want to sit on the edge of your seat because of the word extravagant. Now, the intention is not to intimidate anyone because the use of this word extravagant is biblical. And that's what I want to show you today. So I want us to start off by looking at why do I use the word extravagant? What's, what's the purpose there? And I want you guys to turn with me to Leviticus 27, verse 30 or don't need to turn you. Just turn your heads up to the screen. It says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So we see through Old Testament Scripture, especially Scripture relating to the law, that a tithe is a standard requirement. If you look at the, some of the earlier books, of the first books, you go back to the Torah, that covers a lot of the law that's been put in place. It's quite clear that to give and to offer to God is a requirement. It was a requirement of the, of the law. And even more importantly, it gets one to understand that the tithe that you offer belongs to God. It's holy to God. It's His. It's His right. It's something that you're giving to Him. However, when you continue reading the Word of God, and you may move away from Exodus, Leviticus, past numbers, start going through the rest of the Bible, then it gets drawn to us that, yes, in the law, God desires a tithe, and the tithe belongs to Him, but the Word of God really teaches us that God owns everything. That's true ownership. Yeah? God created it all. He owns it all. He rules over it all. 
And Psalm 24 verse 1 says that perfectly. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So that says that God owns absolutely everything, the world in all its fullness. And it's from this reality and an understanding of this that Jesus enlightens us to a reality of modern life. And that we see in Matthew 5 verse 20. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the, enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want us to look at this scripture from a financial perspective. What Jesus is saying there is that God's heart and God's desire is for us to grow beyond the tithe that's required under the law. He wants us to offer more. He wants us to give abundantly. He wants us to give more. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and of the Pharisees. It needs to be better than what was required under the law. Now, if you understand God's sovereignty and the sacrifices that he made for us, then this would make sense to you. Because God has given us his absolute best. He set us free from the law of requirements, which unfortunately we could never uphold. Through Jesus, he set us free from that. So in the same way, when setting us free from the law and the requirements of the law, so too are we set free from everything pertaining to the law. Even when it comes to our giving, that 10% of your first fruits, you've been set free from that as well. This is a little bit upside down now to being set free from other stuff. You need to understand that you now have the freedom to give more than what the law required as well. And it's as easy as understanding that freely we received, freely we should give. Because God owning everything means that He freely gives to me and you. He requires us to steward that. So when He desires us to give it away, we need to give it away. Freely we've received, freely we should give away. And even going deeper into extravagant giving. Because I'm sure a lot of you are sitting here and asking yourself, so, so put, put a figure to it, put a percentage to it. Tell me what it is. Because of a lot of us, we want to know, so what is extravagant giving? God, what do you want from us? And when we talk finances, you want to, you want to see rands and cents, yeah? you want to see percentages, you want to know what's extravagant in the eyes of the Lord. And I want to encourage you today and say to you that we can't put a value to it. We can't put a percentage to it. Because Jesus is not into your money. It's not about the money. He wants something else from you. He's after your heart. <laughs> we don't serve a, a God of ching-ching. He owns everything. It already belongs to Him. So it's not about the value that we attach to extravagant giving. There's some other things pertaining to this principle that we need to understand. And the best way for me to try to define extravagant giving to you is to determine exactly so what, does, what does it comprise of? What, what, what is extravagant? What, what defines extravagant giving? And I personally believe that there's, there's two key things that defines extravagant giving 
I'm sure there's a few more of you. Give me some more time. I'm positive I can whip out a few more for you. But, but this is the two key things, and this is two things I want to highlight today. And the first one is our attitude towards our giving. And the second thing is the relationship that we have with our finances or the contributions that we make. So I'm going to climb straight into Scripture. Scripture paints beautiful pictures of everything pertaining to finances. I love what Michal says. You need to dig deep in Scripture. On the surface, he gave you a lot of verses that speaks about money, tithe, wages. We read it, but we read it and we understand it on the surface of what it's saying to us. But the true meaning and the true desires of God's heart pertaining to finances lies deep within the Scripture. And you need to put your little headlight on and get your little shovel out. And, and we're going to dig into a book that if you guys have been in the services on a Sunday, you heard me joke about it, you heard me talk about it. And we're going to dig into the book of Leviticus. I want to say this to you again, that this might not be the most interesting book to read in the Bible. However... It is a solid and important book, and it's a good starting point for us. You know, as a young Israelite, as a young boy, when working through the Torah, the very first book that you would work through as, as a young man would be the book of Leviticus. Because there's something profound in that book that needs to be established in your life from the beginning before you latch on to anything else. And in the same way, I believe that the book of Leviticus should still be the primary book we go to today. It seems a bit irrelevant to us in modern terms of how to slaughter a sheep or how to offer a bird to God. We don't do that anymore. So the physical practice of how they brought offerings to God differs to what we do today, but the underlying principle is the same. And that's what I want us to look at. So we're going to go to Leviticus 2 from verse 14. It says, If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, which is part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. I want us to, to break down this, this piece of scripture today so for someone bringing an offering of first fruits to god and if it was a grain offering that you're bringing if you were one that possessed fields and you were into agriculture this was where your income and your resources came from so the principle of first fruits stands that the first fruit of your wealth and of your riches you will offer to god so for someone who was into the farming business, let's take a look at, at what the Lord's requirements was of such a person when bringing that offering to him. His offering must consist of green heads of grain. The heads must be roasted on fire. The grain must be beaten from full heads. The grain must be mixed with oil. And this individual should lay frankincense on it. So now I want you to see this picture of an old farmer back in the day 
and his crops is ripe, and he's going to start plowing, and he's going to start distributing. So his income and his wealth is ready. The fields are ready. And he understands the principle of bringing an offering to God. So now he goes out to the field to prepare the offering that he's going to bring to God. This is not just grab my sickle, stand on the field. That seems like a tenth right there. Take my sickle, chop down my tenth, get a piece of string, tie my tenth together, load it onto my John Deere, mosey on over to the tabernacle of meeting, drop my tenth off at the door, and, and there we go. Jump back into the driver's seat of my tractor and mosey off back to my field again. By no means is that the requirements. Can you see that for anyone that has to bring an offering to God needs to put in an extensive amount of effort in preparing that offering before bringing it to God? We see a process of examination. He needs to examine his crops because there's requirements. God says this offering must come of something that looks very specific. So he needs to go out and he needs to examine his crops and he needs to cut his tenth according to that requirement. There's a process of selection. The same way he examines, the same way he has to select out of that field what he's going to bring to God. It needs to meet God's requirements. And then there's a bit of preparation as well. Because it's not just about rounding up the crop and bringing it by no means. Grain needs to be beaten. It needs to be mixed with oil. It needs to have frankincense laid on it. So not only is he going to load this crop onto the tractor and go, he needs to take this crop home and he needs to prepare this crop. He needs to prepare something special that he's going to come and lay down at the Lord's feet. And it's exactly this stringent processes of examination, selection, preparation, before execution, when you give to God, that sets the tone of our attitude towards our giving. And it's as easy as we give only our best to God because he deserves nothing less. And the thing that makes the book of Leviticus so powerful is that is the underlying theme of the book of Leviticus, is that you offer your absolute best to God because God deserves nothing less. So in the same way, if you picture giving your best to something that you hold dear to your heart, my wife is sitting at the back there, and I often need to give my absolute best to her, the reality of that is it takes some time, it takes some effort, it takes some thought as well. I can't just kick something against her feet and, and say to her, Liffy, that's, that's my best, that's what I've got to give you. So in the same way in the world today where things that's dear to my heart, I put in effort and I put in resources because I want to give Him my best. In the same way, God deserves it as well. Absolutely, absolutely no difference. How does this look to us in modern day terms? Giving your best to God. And I'm asking a question, and I don't necessarily expect any hands to go up with answers, but it's something that I want you to think about. Because I painted a picture of what 
any Israelite that lived in those times had to do to give his best to God. God gave him requirements. God said to him, I want your best. Follow. One, two, three, four, five. They were told what the grain offering is. God communicated that to them via Moses. Today, unfortunately, we don't have that luxury where God communicates what he wants from us via someone. There's no Moses running around. There's no Abram running around telling us this is the requirements of the grain offering. This is the requirements of whatever. Because we've been set free by the blood of Christ. We've been given the ability to decide for ourselves what is our best that we're going to give to God. And this is a personal assessment where each and every one of us takes time out and it's required of you to sit at God's feet and to seek His face, to hear from Him. God, what do you want from me? What is the best I can give you? The reality is you're not going to hear the audible voice of God screaming down telling you what it is. But in that time when sitting at God's feet, something's going to change inside of you, down here in the gut, going to feel like you drank a bit of old milk, going to start turning, it's the spirit working, it's the spirit activating, your thoughts, your mind's going to run away, you're going to take a good solid assessment of your life and decide from that, when I view my life and I view the goodness of God in my life, what He gives me, what He allows me to steward, how can I give back to Him and what's the best? So I'm going to do Try to make this practical. The reason why you guys are here today is for something practical. Yeah? Practically, how do we work with finances? So I'm going to share a bit out of my own life of how do I prepare my best for God? How do I determine what is my best when I give to God? <coughs> and I, wanna, I really want to say to you that it's up there. This is a recipe that works for me. This might not work for any one of you sitting here. It's not about the five points that I follow. And as I explain it, I'm trusting that the principle behind what I do is what's going to be nestled with you. So that when you go away here today, you can make the same assessment, not based on the five points necessarily, but on the principle that's left with you. So on a monthly basis, I need to take a sober look at my finances and at my budget and from that place of taking a sober look, I need to assess exactly how and exactly what I'm going to offer to God. When I walk away, I can say, God, this is my best. This is what I'm giving you. This is my heart. So first and foremost for me, and I place emphasis on saying first and foremost, is an accurate determination of my tithe amount. I don't want to speak too much about tithing because it's something you all know. Tithing was a requirement of the law. Tithing remained a requirement. It's a godly principle. You offer the first fruits of your wealth and of your income and of your resources to God. Yes, God freed us from the requirements of the law. He freed us from the 10%, not so that we give nothing, only so that we can give more. Because we understand what God gave us, we understand that 10% hmm, 
It's minute when it comes to offering back to God. So I start with the tithe. And why I say I do an accurate determination of my tithe amount is because I earn a fluctuating salary. I earn a package, not a salary. So a package consists of a salary. It consists of allowances that has variable portions, which means that every month what comes into my bank account looks a little bit different. This is from a car allowance where you get paid for the kilometers you drive. It fluctuates every month. Yeah? I've got shares in the company. There's dividend payouts depending on the value of the share. The dividend payout changes every month. So I sit and I calculate, first of all, what is my tithe percentage? might not be 10% for me anymore. It might be less if you're starting off. It might be more if you're at the place where you give and you feel you need to give more. But if my percentage is 12 and a half, then I will sit and determine what am I getting into my bank account this month, what is 12 and a half percent of that. And that value gets set aside and that's given to God. The reason why I start there is there's no cheating God. Your tithe is your tithe and it's a requirement. So before you look at anything else, you look at the requirements first. The second thing that I do is an accurate compilation of an income versus expenses report. This is important because as I receive money, so too do I have to pay for things. I have to live. I've got a wife that I need to look after, as Michal said. If you can't provide for your own family, you're as good as unbeliever. Scriptural. So there's a whole lot of things that I need to pay in. And I need to make an assessment of that every single month. What is it that I need to pay? I need to write these things down. I've got a house that I need to pay. I've got a car that I need to pay. There's food that needs to be bought. There's electricity that needs to be paid. The list goes on. Yeah? The longer you're working, the more money you earn, the longer the list becomes. I promise you, don't be deceived to think that the list is going to be small. The list becomes longer. So I need to sit and, and I need to tabulate all of that. Tithe right on top. And then I need to compare, so what did I get in and what am I giving out? That's important to ensure that provision is made for that and that the payment thereof happens. Because if you're not going to take a calculated look at what I need to give out, you're going to miss things. Yeah? One night we're going to sit in the dark because electricity wasn't paid. Because I forgot that I needed to pay it. Or the electricity bill is going to be 2,000 rand. Who on earth uses 2,000 rand's electricity? And now it comes off as a debit order. You don't know if you don't look at things. And just as God gives us money to steward, we have to steward it. We need to look at what we're getting in and what we're giving out. But more important than assessing income versus expenses, I love doing this because this gives me an idea of what my disposable income is. What's left over in my bank account thereafter? That's actually where I'm trying to get to. And the idea there is not so that I can buy myself something fancy, reverse cameras for my car or stuff like that. Yes, that's once. Michal spoke about that. But the reason why I want to determine what my disposable income is is because now I have room to determine what can I give God that's my best. The third thing, a determination of offering amounts. So what I do there is I decide what am I this month going to offer to God? 
This is not my tithe. Offering the baskets that comes around over and above your tithe. Here, you, it's at your discretion whether you want to give or not. This is my recipe. Yeah? So I determine what am I going to put into those baskets, how am I going to put it in over four weeks, one shot. Am I going to offer to a charitable cause? Is there a missions team going out? Is there a need in that missions team for sponsorship, for contributions? That's the type of things that I look at. Yeah? I've got a lot of friends going out into the missions field that I can't necessarily afford that plane ticket. So yeah, I have the room to assess what am I going to give and where am I going to give it to. That thing gets recorded. It's part of my budget. It's my money that I'm giving out. And as it goes into my budget, I ensure that I part with it as well. If I decide that I'm going to offer 2,000 rand to someone going to Malawi for a plane ticket, it goes onto my budget and I offer that money into the missions account. Reference Peter, Malawi, whatever. All right? From there, I check my allowance for additional entertainment. This can sound unbiblical. <laughs> this is one of my most biblical forms of giving that I do. I call it kingdom investments. Now, obviously, as many of you know, I'm also a pastor in this house, which means that I see a whole lot of people very often. So what I do with this is I make an allowance for those coffee dates, for that cares, for that couple coming over to our house, for those counseling sessions, all of those things that I do, I make allowance for it. And the allowance is not necessarily only to pay my portion of the bill. The allowance is to be able to bless the person who's sitting opposite me. So for those of you that comes for these sessions with me, yeah, you get a free meal as well. Please don't all be putting up your hand. Please don't be putting up your hand anytime soon. But there's a principle about that that I've grasped that it's it's better to give than to receive. And you know, if I'm sitting with you and we're gonna go into a counseling session and we're gonna talk kingdom together, and a lot of times there's no agenda. I meet with people to talk kingdom because you've got a desire on your heart and you want to do something, and everyone wants to speak to someone. So I sit there and I speak with you, and yes, I'm blessing you with my time, but yes, I'm gonna bless you with something else as well. Because when you walk away there, I want you to feel blessed. It's not about me. I just want to bless you. That's what I want to do. And then the fifth thing is a determination of contribution towards arms. And this looks different every month. It could be a percentage of money that I put away and I buy food. We don't throw money in the arms bins. If there's a team going out, which we're having a lot lately in the winter months, I'll set a bit of money aside, I'll buy some food, I'll buy blankets, I'll buy things of the sort, and I'll come and I'll drop it in the arms bin. It might even mean that I've saved enough on my budget this month to go and buy myself some new clothes. So what I do then is if I do that, I part with some of my other clothing. Because as I get something new, I'm sure there's some place in my cupboard to, you know, kick some of this stuff out again. So for me, this is the time and the effort that I take and I set aside for God. And I look at what God gives me to steward. And I make an assessment of that. And then I offer my best back to God. My best differs every month. This looks different every month. 
And as I said, when you offer your best to someone, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes work, because this takes time, it takes effort, and it takes work. This is not a one-day sit and work it out. This takes me a few days. And the other thing is this needs to be maintained. So as you go into the execution process, you need to maintain the budget. So it's something I'm always working on. It's not because I'm Scrooge McDuck. It's because if I get raptured tomorrow and God must ask me, so what do you do with the money that I entrusted to you? I'm going to say to him, give me one minute. Let me go back downstairs and grab my laptop quickly so I can show you. And I'm making a joke about it, but God knows my heart in stewarding his finances. You come to a place where you soberly look at what God has blessed you with and you desire to give the absolute best back to God. This is a lot of giving. That's why I'm calling it extravagant giving. But everything on that list is biblical. Not every one of us sitting here today can achieve a profile like this, but we need to work to it because a year ago I was not there. A year ago I was in one of the worst places I've ever been financially, yet earning a fairly sizable salary as a fully qualified engineer. And it doesn't make sense. I'm a son of God. I'm earning a great salary. Ends is not meeting. What's not going on? It's because this didn't exist. It was all about me and my needs and my desires and my big car and my big house and my big everything. And you know what? God has given me the ability to maintain all of my wants and still come to a place where I can meet that five things. It's when your attitude towards giving changes. When giving is not about me, when giving is about God. That is when God gives you the room and the wisdom to work with what you have. God's desire is for us to have our wants. It might not look how we want it to look, but He's going to give it to you. The attitude just needs to change towards that. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 that says, Each man should give as he has purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And can you imagine that from an analysis of finances and a budget that I have, when the requirements of the scriptures hold before me, my heart's in the right place. Because God desires someone that gives cheerfully, that wants to give out of a heart of love. He doesn't want someone who's sitting there with a, a 20 rand in your pocket, the offering basket comes, it's like McDonald's burger offering. Yeah, and, and we joke about it. And, and I say this with absolute love and respect. That if you're having that struggle to drop that money down, rather put it back in your pocket. Because God does not need the money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. He's after the heart. So when I give, I can honestly say that my giving conforms to those requirements. Because I sat and I calculated what I want to give. So there's no chance that I can want to give reluctantly or under compulsion because I'm sitting and I'm calculating and I'm making peace that God, now I offer you my best. This is what it looks like. This is what it is. And I give cheerfully. It's such a blessing to be able to part with what I part with every single month. The only reason why it's a blessing for me is I know that I'm giving it to God. And I can say to God, this month, 
this is my best. This is what I can do. This is what the Spirit of the Lord is lying upon me as my best. And God challenges me. Sometimes my best looks different than any other month. Sometimes my best is a long haul. But God says to you, you know that sum of money that's in that one specific account of yours, give it. I was so challenged. I was in Stellenbosch about a, a month ago. I was spending a, a week at HQ. And the second last day I walked out of a long sermon from Pastor Fred. Yeah? It had nothing to do with finances. And I'm walking to, to have lunch. And as I'm walking, I feel the Lord say to me, there's an account that you have. It's a savings account. Um, it's a fairly new savings account. There's a sum of money in that account. I want you to put that sum of money into the church's bank account. I've already gone from one to five. God says to me, that exact sum of money, I'll tell you what it is. There was 4,275 rand lying in that account. God said to me, I want it. I want you to give it. I want you to part with it. And before I went for lunch, I pulled out my tablet and I transferred the money out of that account into the church's account. I didn't ask any questions. I don't look back. I don't assess, but what did I want to use it for? Anything of the sort. Because that's not important. God said to me, I want it. I don't know what he wants it for. I said to you, God doesn't need our money, but God wanted that money from me that specific day. And when you understand that when you do things like that, that God is the first receiver of what you're giving, you will give it. And that comes to my second point. Extravagant giving is defined by the relationship that we have with our finances and the relationship that we have with our contribution when we give to God. I want us to go back to that Leviticus 2 scripture. I want to highlight something there. Verse 16. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense, as it's an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this farmer goes through all of that effort to bring this perfect sacrifice to God. And he gets met by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. One of Aaron's sons, a priest, comes and meets him at the door and accepts the offering from him. Right there, the priest puts his hand into the offering. He takes a handful out. He drops that down onto the altar and he burns it. That's the offering made to God. Do you know what happens to the rest? The priests keep it. The book of Leviticus tells us that that is the most holy portion of that offering. Not the portion that was burnt and went up to God, the portion that remains with the priest. I put myself into that position many times. I said to myself, Yo, you must have had nerves of steel in those days. Because you go through all of that effort and you bring your offering to God and first of all, you don't get to go into the tabernacle of meeting. You don't get to enter into the holiest of holies and put your offering down and, and look at the Ark of the Covenant and say, God, this is for you. You don't even get past the front door. You need to give it to a priest and a priest as an ambassador 
offers it to God on your behalf. The next thing is he takes a handful, here's the offering, it gets bent. So all of that effort, one handful gets bent, and the priest gets to chow the rest. You needed to have nerves of steel when bringing your offering to God. Because if your heart's not right, you're going to have a problem at the door. Because you're going to see everything that is fleshly at that time. And when I speak about our relationship that we have with our finances and our contribution, it's this. Is that nowhere today do we have the opportunity to come into the manifest presence of God and lay our offering down. It doesn't work like that. Our offering is offered to an ambassador of the Lord. And from there it moves on. So a lot of us, we tend to think that we're giving to man. Because in reality we are tied to the church. I'm giving to the church. Church is man. But if we don't understand that God is the first receiver, not man, we're going to have a problem. And that is something that only God can establish in your life. You need to understand that when I give, irrespective of who or what I give to, God is the first receiver. When you understand that, your relationship with your finances and your contribution is going to change forever. The person who receives it is going to come in different shapes, forms, sizes, colors. You're not going to care because you're going to see God. You're going to see my offering going to God. In the same way, in where's my last, my last bit of notes here? John 6 from 1 to 14 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. I love the story. This is a story that's running through the chauffeur ranks like crazy. Pastor Fred May gets a revelation of the story, shares it, and a lot of eyes open to something that we've never seen before in this specific story. That is where there's people following Jesus, and he says, but they haven't eaten. They've been following me around. Can we organize him some food? He speaks to Philip. Philip says, how on earth do you not see the many people we have here? And then the hero of the story rocks up. A little boy with two barley loaves and some small fish. And that gets given to Jesus and Jesus blesses it and he feeds 5,000 people with that. You know what's the catalyst of that miracle? Not necessarily Jesus feeding the 5,000 the catalyst of that miracle is the fact that that little boy was prepared to give away his two barley loaves and his small fish. That little boy understood something about his lunchbox and his contribution that he was prepared to part with it. Now, I remember when I was at primary school, I would not part with my lunchbox. There's not a chance. I don't even do it today at work, yeah? My wife packs such a phenomenal lunchbox. I don't want to give you anything out of it. But yet there's 5,000 plus. They're only speaking to them about the male adults. They only count male adults. It's not including the women and the children that was there. And he's got two barley loaves and a little bit of fish. And this kid is prepared to give that up. For him it was different because the first receiver was Christ. He had the privilege to put that into Jesus' hands. But the principle's the same. It's the heart. I'm giving up. My only bit. Did none of you think that you needed food today? And this little boy gives it off. Jesus can bless that and feed the multitudes, including that boy. And they send baskets around and they pick up 
little pieces. And I'm sure they could take with to the next miracle to go feed some more people there as well. And that's understanding that when we give, we give to God. People, it's hard. I looked at it. I assessed it. I struggled to understand why my tithe must go to the church. Why I must put in the offering basket. Why must I give my best when I put in the alms bin? I struggled with it. I'm just being honest with you. I looked at my closet and I've got certain likes and things that I'm going to be honest with you. I like name brand clothes as well. So when I buy, like I did with this batch, a whole lot of old khaki shirts, I had a whole lot of urban shirts in my cupboard. Nothing was wrong with it. It was cleaned. It was ironed. It was hanging there. One reality is I couldn't fit into it. I've grown a bit in size. And now I want to start assessing, can I put this in the arms bin? That's urban. This shit cost me 400 rand a piece. Can I put it in the arms bin? Of course you can. Because I'm not giving it to the person standing on the street. I'm giving it to God. God's going to do with it what he wants to do with it. And it's only until I came to that point where I understood that God receives my offering, not man did my heart change and my relationship towards my finances, relationship towards my contribution change. So now it's easy to give because I want God to have urban shirts. I want God to have those things. He deserves it. What God decides to do with those things, it's not for me to decide. I can't hang around and want to steward my offering. Stand there and say, God, okay, I think it should go to this person, that person. No. God decides where it goes. We serve a God that desires to, to bless us. We read it in Scripture. Yeah? The reality is, why I use the word extravagant? We serve an extravagant God. There's a Scripture that we all know well, John 10 verse 10. I want us to look at the latter portion of that Scripture. It says that I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That word abundant is extravagance. That is the God we serve. A God that has not only come so that we can have and feel good about ourselves. That's a God that came that we could have more than what we could ever imagine. Life in abundance refers to the extravagance of the God that we serve. His heart is to flourish in your life and pour out such blessing in your life that you're not going to know how to contain it. There's one requirement. He's come so that we can have that extravagance freely as we have received with the same heart we should give. There's nothing wrong with extravagant giving. There's nothing wrong if it doesn't make sense and it seems as if it's a challenge to part with so much. What could my life look like? <laughs> and my wife sits here. What could our life look like if I only had to give item number one? We would have been driving a car just as big as mine. We would have had a lot more things. The only reality is those things are worth nothing in a life that we live for eternal purposes. My big Mitsubishi ain't going upstairs with me. And if she should own one, we're definitely not going to have the ability to take two. And when you think about 
the life that we live and why we live it, then you realize that finances has a lot of power to work for you, as Michal says, to grow the kingdom. God gives us the choice to do and to steward what He gives us to make the most of what we're doing. And our mandate is to grow and extend the kingdom of God. And you know what? He's given us the finances to do it. We just need to understand how to steward it and to push it back in. There's some guys here that's going to pass offering baskets around now. If you don't mind, there's four offering baskets at the back. And I'll ask four gentlemen to pass those offering baskets around. Now, right now comes the big challenge and the uneasy stir in this hall now. And before you pass those baskets around, guys, it's difficult when you get people coming to a finance seminar and you speak about being a good steward of your money and how to give extravagantly and everything of the sort. And then the last person closes off by sending an offering basket around. Seems harsh, doesn't it? Because it seems as if I can be testing your heart. What did you learn today? What are you going to put into that basket? Today it's going to be different. As the basket comes around, you're allowed to put your hand in and take something out for yourself. That's the God we serve. God bless all of you. And before you you get up and, and you run off, we're not going to we're not going to take another break now. Um, all the the sessions are done. We do have one last session. You get to chew on something during the session if you like. Um, this is a. This is going to be an interesting session now. This is the questions and answer session. So two years ago, we put three chairs up on the stage and we had all the speakers sit and answer questions. Um, my buddies have left me <laughs> for this one all on my own. Um, but there's no, there's no problem with that. So we're going we're gonna to take 10 minutes while we're sitting here and... And I'm going to open up the floor if there is any questions. To the best of my ability, I would try to answer them if there is anything. Okay. Um, if there's nothing, that's cool as well. All right. So is there any questions stemming from all three sessions? Um, I haven't really listened to Philip's one, so this, that will be interesting. But um, can I ask you to come up? We're recording all of this. The question and answer session is a session as well, so we'd like your question to be heard. Um, I just wanted to ask about like savings. Savings, <laughs> sorry. For me, it sounds like redundant when you're saying that we should trust uh, in God and we shouldn't store up wealth, but yet we're still supposed to save so that we shouldn't be fearful still. I, I, do, I don't get it. Okay. There's a dual purpose when it comes to biblical finances and and I'm going to maybe make an example. It might not necessarily be about savings, but I'm sure that the principle of, of my answer will, will, give you, will give you the answer that you're looking for. There's two things that God wants from us. The one is that we trust Him.
Apologies for that. <laughs> the two-finger system works well. Just don't use the middle finger. <laughs> There's two things that God wants of us. The one is that we, um, is that we trust Him. And the second thing is that we're good stewards of what He gives us. And that is where saving comes in. I'm going to share this example. Um, I know a young individual that suffers from an illness, a difficult illness to deal with. And this person believes in the healing power of God and believes that their relationship is at a point with God where I can trust God for my healing. And this person had decided to stop using the medication that keeps this illness at bay. Within a few days, I had to go visit this person in hospital and pray for that person and trust the Lord to restore to that person what's been taken away. So here you see the same two things. You see trusting God and being a good steward. Trusting God for healing and trusting God for financial prosperity is one thing, but God's going to give you and He also expects you to steward. Because as much as you trust Him, He gives you something and you need to make it work. It's like that scripture in Philippians 2 verse 12 that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It does not mean that God's not part of your salvation, but it means that He's already deposited something inside of you that gives you the ability to go forward on your own. And that's where savings fits in. Savings ties up with stewardship. You can trust God for provision. You can trust God for everything. But we also need to understand that God gives you an increase and He tells you to steward that increase. Which means that what He gives you, you need to be able to manage to get by on your own when He wants you to get by on your own. Because yes, we trust God for a lot, but there's a lot of times we find ourselves in a situation, you ask yourself, God, where are you? That is the time when God checks, what did you steward what I gave you? It's a dual, it's a dual purpose. I've never been big on the savings thing either. I always said, yes, I'm going to take this money upstairs with me. The rapture's for me alone. I don't even get to take my body with me. I'm not going to have a jeans with pockets to take money with. But there's something I realized at a stage that, that God gives me increase and I need to steward it. So at the times when, when God's not there, in inverted commas, I have the ability to go on. Saving gives you the capacity to do a lot because it gives you the capacity to also help those that unfortunately were not yet made aware of the stewardship principle or has maybe had a bit of problems understanding it. Yeah. Now, it's not saying that offer your savings to every Dick, Tom and Harry that's struggling, but God will lead you what to do with it. In the same way that my 4,000 plus just had to be moved out of my account that day. I believe that there was a need, a specific need. Um, I believe that the church had enough money to meet that need. They didn't need my 4,300 then. But I believe that at the same time as that exact sum of money met a need, God was just busy changing something in my heart as well. It's an ongoing process. Yeah? You never got this thing done. So I hope that gives you a bit more idea of the savings thing. Anyone else?
Um, my question has to do with beggars and car guards. I know it's a tough one. <laughs> but, yeah, it's something I'm struggling with, and I want to know what you think about, like, how, what to give and how much. And also, I guess it's half how you treat them, but, yeah. Cool. Um, you, you answered a, a great portion of it is how you treat them and how you approach this individual. Um, you know, from the onset, we, we handle everyone with love and in the same way that you would want someone else to handle you. Um, that individual was shaped and formed in the image of God, was created, brought onto this earth with a divine purpose and a divine mandate just as we have. And it's difficult to see that at times when someone is not walking in their mandate, when someone is irritating and maybe drunk and maybe a bit different to what we are. We struggle to see God in that person and to see God's purposes in that person. But as long as we acknowledge people for who they are and understand that God's got a plan for this person, then coming to the giving part, this is where it becomes tricky. Car gods is so debatable. And I was listening to Jack Aranda FM. They were having the car god discussion. So what do you give a car god? Do you even give a car god? And find it interesting to get a very worldly perspective of how people feel about car gods. But there's something with a car god that you trust the Holy Spirit. It's as easy as that. Because we have the Holy Spirit... Not only that we can discern spiritual things, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to discern worldly things as well. He operates in both spheres, spirit and natural. And a lot of times, you just need to trust the Spirit. Because a car God specifically, who pops up as I'm pulling out, that I don't even see, does not deserve anything. Because he's not fulfilling the role and the duty that he claims to be. That's being deceitful. So I'm not being nasty when I smile and I wave at him. One that is there and is trying to offer a service to make a living, I'm prepared to meet you somewhere. And it's easy to tell the difference between the two. And the Spirit will give you the ability to discern the difference between the two as well. So I honestly believe someone that's trying to make a living, I'll give you something. You know, that might seem small. Car gods, we don't necessarily give 50, 60, 70 rands. It happened to me the other day at Groenkloof as well, some time back. I felt the urge to give this car god something, and I had a hundred rand note in my wallet. Yes, I tell you, he jumped as he got it and he walked away. But... It's that stir where the Spirit said to me, give it to him. I don't care what you've got in your wallet. Give it to him. If that's all you've got, give it. And it's not about the value. It's about the Spirit prompting you when and when not to give. In the same way with beggars. Beggars is hard. Beggars, we don't give money. Um, I'd, you know, a lot of us feel that I've got a relationship with this guy on the corner. I know him. I talk to him. I'm prepared to give him money. I'm, I'm going to challenge you and say to you, you're destroying his life. Don't give him money. No matter how well you think you know him, don't give him money. Because that man lives on the street. Now we got a lot of people who lives on the street in this church. And I say it to them and I talk to them about it. And they hear my heart of love when I say to them that I cannot entrust you with hardcore cash. 
because some of them have other problems. So when this person is fighting a devil, don't put the devil's ambassador in his hand. Give him something different. So people on the street, we offer alms. We offer food. We offer clothing. We love them. We pray for them. We give them Bibles. We give them a lot of stuff. But money is not a good option. A lot of them, unfortunately, do have addictions. And when you live on the street, what are you rather going to buy with a hundred rand? Something that's going to fill your stomach for two hours or something that's going to keep you going for the rest of the day? And I leave you to decide what one they're going to take. It's not the addiction that's working there. That's survival tactics. They're doing that to survive. I got a lot of compassion for them. I hate the fact that they abuse drugs, but I promise you, they're trying to survive. And the hit of cat or a little bit of heroin is going to get them a lot further on the street in the flesh than what a loaf of bread is going to. So we can't hold it against them when they get money and they go their truth. They're just trying to make it to the next day. So we really need to trust the Lord and our own wisdom and our own understanding that, that that's never an option for them. Rather give him that, that bread. Rather feed his, his two-hour need. Because two hours later, someone else will feed that the next two hours and the next two hours, and he will live. But when he's torn between two hearts and he makes the wrong decision, he just destroys his life. He just makes it harder for himself to get off the streets. Um, so that's anyone else? Sorry, I was just on a phrase in my head. Um, I was speaking to a very good friend of mine yesterday, actually, and um, we both understand the, you know, the heart behind giving, and that you know God really wants your first fruits, and exactly what you spoke about, and just reiterates it for me. Um, but my question is that if I do have the heart of it, hey, does that the first fruit necessarily have to come to the to the church or to your worship body? Or, for instance, like his example was that he lives in Stellenbosch, and um, like they close. So it's the houses that burned down in the rural areas. Like he met a lady there, and he said that he would rather give his five grand or whatever it is to help her rebuild her small house than give it to the church. So now I just want to know specifically: is it biblical or is it like? Um, I don't know how to explain it, but must that first fruits go to the church and then on top of that go out, or is that just where God, like, you know, tells people to give? Like it's hard to ask the question. But I'm with you, 100 percent. This is a big debate in the church circles when it comes to giving. Malachi 3 verse 8 to 10, you can read it. Um, your tithe goes to the storehouse. The storehouse for us today is the church where you're being fed. There is, unfortunately in this specific scenario, no compromise. If that's his tithe that he's giving, the tithe goes to the church. There's no compromise. It's biblical, and there's a requirement for that. And I dealt with it slightly, because who is the first reserve, receiver of your tithe? When you do that, you're deciding who's your first receiver. And that's unbiblical. This is harsh. A lot of people fight with me for days about this. But this is the word of God. When you decide where your tithe goes, 
God's not the first receiver. Your heart can say that. But unfortunately it's not. Your tithe goes to the church. There's a reason why we do that is specific example, Kaya Mandi. I was actually in Stellenbosch when it happened, when Kaya Mandi bent down. It was a big thing. Shofar Stellenbosch supports Kaya Mandi. And it's, it's horrific to see what happened there. But what happened there was not the resolution for Kaya Mandi was not one or two people standing up and emptying their bank account for Kaya Mandi. The resolution to that was the church came up alongside Kaya Mandi. Now, if everyone is freely going to give out of their own discretion, the church will not have to empower them to come up against natural disaster like that. That is why we give to the storehouse we give to God, and God distributes at His discretion. Yet people came in their personal capacity and gave the Kaya money, but that was not their tithe, that was their offering. I'm actually starting to wonder now if my 4,300 never went to Kaya Mandi. It was that it was an exact period when, when Kaya Mandi had been done. Now I'm teasing, I'm speculating, I wouldn't know. That's not important, we went to either. Um, that's really just a joke. So, um, so I I trust you understand that. This is hard, people. But unfortunately, that's the way it works. We don't choose where our tithe goes. Our tithe goes to the church. The church will make the decision. I sit on the finance board for the church, and I can promise you today that every single cent we get in is thought through and it's prayed through. It's not who does Sean, Michal, or Philip decide where the money must go or buying new speakers. and stuff. We've got a lot of new stuff. We've got fancy stuff. But before we bought any of these things, we made sure that our brother church in Standerton had a speaker. We made sure that Johannesburg had mics. So before we get abundant, we ensure that those in need have. And the only way we have the ability to do that is to bring our titles to us. You see, when the church has the ability and the resources to be the church, then the church becomes effective. We can't take that power away from the church. Again, now it sounds like I'm speaking about a body, but you must remember, God flows through the church. So when I say church, I'm not talking people. I'm talking the church is the hands and feet of God. We disable God when we disable the church. It's awfully quiet in here now. Anyone else? Is that it? I trust you guys had a, had a great day. I hope you all learned something, even if it's a little bit. Use it. It's going, to, it's going to help you a lot. God bless. Have a great day. Have a great evening. We'll see you all tomorrow. listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org. You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.